0: I will confess, I had a moment when I saw the passage that he gave me, I said, is Pastor Ben not like me? <laughs> this could either go really well, or somebody could be writing my eulogy, I don't know. <laughs> seriously, seriously it, it is a difficult passage. Um, and honestly, I'm sure you're like me. This is, this is not a passage that comes up frequently in our home at dinner, like, honey, Let's have a a, a rousing and encouraging uh, conversation about submission. Uh, It is difficult. It's a difficult passage and what I wanna do is I wanna read it, I wanna pray over us for it and then walk through it and hopefully what you'll find is that whether you are a wife or a husband, a woman or a man, by the time this is done, it will be equal parts humbling And exhilarating. Bringing you to your knees in repentance. And lifting us in exaltation before our Lord. And with that, let's read the passage. You'll find the passage, by the way, on page 1015 in your uh, pew Bibles. Likewise... Wives, be subject to your husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And this is God's word. Amen. Pray with me, if you would. Gracious God, we're about to delve into a passage uh, that has caused unnecessary consternation and hurt. We're about to delve into a passage that is difficult. But it is your word and it is your way. If we understand it rightly and live it out before you and each other the way that we have been called to do. That's a tall order, God. So we ask that you be with us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come in all your power and your majesty and your might, your glory. Come in your wisdom and understanding and insight. Come in your transforming power, your grace and your love. Dwell with us, your royal priesthood. Dwell in us, your temple. Transform us, renew us, And through this passage, lift us up to bring us closer to you and to each other than we have ever been before. And in so doing, live lives that provide a witness to the world that shines so brightly. All want to know what that beautiful light might be. Come, Lord, and be with us. This will only happen if only your word is spoken and only your word is heard and only your word is written on our hearts. For we do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It goes without saying, this is a difficult passage. Words like submission, be subject to weaker vessel. are words and concepts that if misunderstood can be hurtful, can cause tremendous problems in a marriage. Also words like submission and phrases like weaker vessel come laden with baggage. Baggage that's been piled on by dysfunctional viewpoints Uh, and conversations in our post-Christian 21st century society, which just complicates things. This passage, this difficult passage, follows on the heels of other difficult passages, and each of them tied to the other by the word likewise. A passage about how Christians are to be subject and and submissive, subject to uh, government authorities who are oftentimes hunting them down, throwing them in prison, if not executing them and another passage that talks about how servants are to submit to the will of their masters. This passage is tied to those. How are we to understand it in light of that? On top of that, we're dealing with a difficult and potentially troubling passage during what is arguably the most difficult and troubling and chaotic period in the history of our country, a time when Certain things have been called into question that have been never been doubted. People are asking questions, well, well, how do I define a man? What's the role of a man? What's the role of a woman? What's the role of a husband? What's the role of a wife? How do family relationships work between parents and children? Things that were certain and rock solid for millennia are now being called into question. And we live in that society. The great pastor and theologian and martyr, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, said this. He said that the ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that it leaves to its children. Understanding this passage is critical to building that moral society. It's critical and essential to leaving a better world to our children. The family has been the foundation and the bedrock of every great civilization throughout history. The family is foundational to God's desire for our world, and the relationship between husbands and wives is foundational to the family. It's as essential as it gets. Foundational is an important word here. If we're to understand correctly the foundational relationship between husbands and wives, then we've got to start the conversation with the right foundation, with the right background. We've gotta have the proper foundation because it frames the entire conversation. And throughout the series, Pastor Ben has been trying to tell us that because Peter has built it into this book when he wrote. He's been saying, listen, reminding us, we're elect exiles in this land. We're strangers, as we used to say as kids, just passing through, heading to our home. What does that mean? What does that even mean to be an exile? How do you think like an exile? You know, he tells us, Peter tells us in, in, in two, chapter 2, verse 11, that we're sojourners and aliens here. What does that mean? And that kind of leads us to the points we want to talk about. Now, surprisingly, as a pastor, I have three points. I'm sure you're shocked. <laughs> I didn't put the poem in this time, but I got a video clip, so we're okay. Here are the points. First, think like an exile. What does that mean? Have you ever stopped to wonder that as we've been going through this? So what does it mean to think like an exile? Here's the second point, the problem with submission. Here's the third point, the answer to the problem. So we're gonna learn to think like an exile, which is gonna lead us to examine the problem with submission, which is gonna lead us to understand the answer to the problem. Now, when I say think like an exile, I'm gonna say this, in order to think like an exile, you've gotta got have two principles in mind, all right? Here's the first one. You gotta start this journey of understanding from the beginning and not the middle, okay? Uh, Is so often we start conversations like this, especially when it deals with relationships of men and women in the middle. So everybody says, so what do you think of submission? You're starting in the wrong place. You gotta start the journey in the beginning, not the middle. And here's the second point. You've this journey of understanding, our understanding, has to be based on the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of the world. We have read through here that we are his chosen race, he is ours, we are his. What does it mean to understand this from his word and his wisdom, not the world's? Those are the two things you gotta keep in mind whenever you approach any topic, especially ones that are relational between men and women. Now, first things first, Uh, I'm going to run through these passages fast. It looks like there's a lot, but I'm basing this on the fact that if you're a Christian, you understand this. If you're not a Christian or if you're somebody that's curious about it, you'll be able to understand the gist of it. The first passage I want to bring up to you is Isaiah 55, right? It's verses 8 through 11. In Isaiah 55, 8 through 11, you read this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. What has he told us? On our own, our thoughts are not his thought, our ways are not his ways. We need his word, his wisdom, to learn to think like him, like God's exiles. And the second thing he said is, my word's important to that because every time my word goes out, it does something. It plants a seed in you. It's part of a conversation with somebody else. It does something. And there's no change to that. And this passage, Is that word? Here's the second one. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 through 13. We read this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your good, your welfare, and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. He's telling us that his word, this exile journey that we have based on that word, is for our good. When we read a difficult passage like this, it's for our good. And as we'll come to find out, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow for both husbands and wives. But as I said before, if we do this journey right, walking hand in hand with God, an exhilarating one. Now closer to home, we look in the book of First Peter. Peter is making that very concrete. He, looks at, he gives us a list of things. He says, you want to know how to think like an exile? Here's who you are. You're elite, or you're elect exiles, excuse me. You're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're a people belonging to God, you're a living temple. That's who you are. Now, that's different than our society and this is why we have to base it on God's wisdom because in our society, when you ask the question, who am I, it's an inward-focused question. It's society finds personal identification by asking that question, who am I? Christians have just been told that when you ask, look for your identity, the question you ask isn't who am I, it's whose am I? I'm a race, part of a race chosen by God. I have been ordained into a royal priesthood by God. That's who I am. I'm part of a living temple because of the work of God and the Holy Spirit in my life. That's who I am. Now, because Christians have a different way of establishing personal identity, they've also, we also have a different purpose than the rest of our society. And Pastor Ben has brought this out, especially last week, right? In our society, if identity is found by looking inward, so is purpose. What's best for me? What will help me? What will be good for me? That is where you find purpose. But as a Christian, since the question isn't who am I, but whose am I, we don't look inward, we look upward. Peter says here that Christians have a different purpose. He says, You are here to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his glorious light. He says that we are here to be the living temple where we offer up spiritual sacrifices pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. Those sacrifices, those offerings, those are our lives. Our spiritual sacrifice is how we live those lives and we are to live in such a way that it brings glory to God and it serves as a witness to the world and shines his light outward. And this difficult passage is a part of that. That brings us to the last part of foundation and that's what does God's wisdom, God's word say about men and women? Well, Genesis one twenty six and Genesis 5 are very clear. Genesis 1, man, let us make mankind in our image. Genesis 5, let us make mankind in our image. Male and female, we shall make them. He told us a lot there, but he told us two things that are important to this passage in our conversation. First, men and women each embody and express the image of God uniquely. Think about the characteristics and the attributes of God his power, strength, strength of will, his majesty, his glory, his wisdom, his knowledge, his understanding, his insight, his tenderness, his compassion, his grace, his love. Men do it as only men can do it. And women do it as only women can do it. Here's the second thing he said. Men and women together embody and express the image of God in a way that neither of us can do on our own. And quite frankly, in a way which is stronger than the sum of our parts. Pause as we approach this passage and look at how this background applies to us. Husbands, when is the last time you have looked at your wife To see how she embodies and expresses the image of God. When is the last time you looked at her and said, I see him in you? And here's your strength. And that combined part, how we embody and express him together, your strength, honey, makes me stronger. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you woke up with the goal and the purpose of telling your, of seeing your wife, seeing women in general, but your wife in particular as a husband, because that's what this is about, as that image bearer, doing everything you can to encourage and support her and bringing that out, doing everything you can to call that out in her and champion that in her? It was a humbling realization for me. Women, wives, Wives, when's the last time you did that for your husbands? Men and women who are dating, are you doing that for each other? Because before you can talk about submission, we have to be doing that. And frankly, it's not a conscious thing for us most days. Most days we are so dominated by our to-do list, our schedule, our transportation needs, and if you're driving into the city, you know how bad that is that we say, I have these important things to think about. No, that's the important thing to think about. Start with the important, then deal with the urgent. So God's ways are not our ways. We need his wisdom to understand that way. We need his word. We need to delve into his word, and we need to see each other as men and women, as husbands and wives in a way that honors each other. Start there and then talk about submission, which brings us to submission. What is it? Well, we can start with what it is not. Now, I said this passage is linked to the passages before, which makes it difficult because they're difficult topics because it uses the word likewise. Likewise is the word in in chapter 1, verse 1. Now, likewise is a Greek word called homoios, which means in a similar way. What Peter did not do was choose the Greek word kathos, which means in the same way or even as. What he didn't do is choose the phrase katapanta, which shows up in other places, which means in every way. What is he saying? In English terms, he's saying similar, not same. And the differences can vary greatly. Why is that important? Because one of the things that this is not, he's not doing is drawing a parallel between a servant-master relationship and a wife-husband relationship. That's personal servitude. No, that is not the relationship. Similar, not same. The other thing he's not doing is he's not drawing a comparison between submission to a government that, as we said, is oftentimes hunting Christians in this time that Peter is writing, imprisoning them, taking their possessions, if not outright killing them. That's homicidal abuse (laughs) if it's in a marriage. It does not mean that you cannot discuss something together. It does not mean that you cannot disagree. It does not mean that you both can't hold strong opinions. If you look at Proverbs 31 or Proverbs 31 wife, and I wish we had time to do it, you see a description of this woman who's incredible. She is a small business owner and operator. She's an entrepreneur. She's a shrewd negotiator. She's a real estate broker. She's a manufacturer. It even lists at one point says she is strong and strong of arm. She's a shrewd negotiator. She provides and she plans. She's somebody who's who's able to plan for this entire organization, a ranch or a farm and and, and a family and servants, you know, and and, and possessions, so that the family, it says, never runs out of oil. What does that mean? She's planned ahead for the provisions in any circumstance. Isn't it a wallflower? How can it, how could it possibly mean, okay, I won't disagree? I won't have my own opinion. Wrong. We need to have each other, we need to have our own opinions because that's what helps us to grow in Christ-likeness. Wow. So what is submission? And this is where I gotta tell you, as a former Marine, I, this was a revelation and lots of fun. Here's why. <laughs> the word that's used for, for submission is hupotasso. hupotasso. is a military term. What it is, it, w- it was in Roman times, it, it means to arrange under in, in, in one sense. In Roman times, when a military troop would right, you'd put on your battle armor, you'd grab your shield, grab your spear, grab your sword, you would arrange yourself for battle under the leadership of your commander. In this sense, it means more fall in with. It means more uh, Get behind, get under, lift up. Right? The picture that's drawn with a military term, and they do this in the Bible all the time. Look at the description of putting on the full armor of God and you'll see it. And that's a part of this. The picture that's being drawn is a husband and wife as shieldmates in battle. Shield mate is your buddy to your right or your left, and when you go into battle, you've got your shield, you've got your sword, you're walking like this, and when the time comes to go to battle, you lock shields and your shield mate's locking with you on either side. The picture is a husband and wife as shield mates going into battle, dressed in the full armor of God, looking across the battlefield or whatever object or enemy you have to confront, and your wife turns to the husband and says, got a plan? If not, I got a couple ideas. Kind of puts a different spell on it. Submission in this sense is a wife making a conscious choice not to overtly challenge your husband's will in that situation, but to give him tie-breaking authority, right? It's not be a servant. It's, I'm gonna give you tie-breaking authority. Somebody said once it was authority of counsel, I I remember hearing, right? And it comes with a caveat and a call, the caveat. The request that the husband makes, it can't be honored if it's overtly a violation of God's word. For example, you've heard the phrase DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Suppose your husband comes home in a brief period of temporary insanity, he says, you know, honey, we should embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion, and four blocks down the road, the Church of Satan has built a temple. I think we should go attend for a while and make them feel welcome. No, honey. <laughs> no. Here's another one. Anybody old enough here to remember Pet Rocks? Showing my age. Yeah, Pet Rock. Can you believe people spent money on That guy's in the back on busted. That's me. I'm old. Yeah. You remember, people spent money. Uh, they bought a box, and you open it up, and it was a rock. And somebody painted a face on it or maybe put hair on it. And they put a card in. They gave it a little story. And you know they're laughing back there. He goes, these idiots are buying rocks. <laughs> you know? Your husband comes in and says, listen, honey, we got a 401k. We got an IRA. We've got stocks. We've got savings accounts. We're looking good. Here's what we do. I know Pet rocks are coming back, so let's take all our money and get in on the ground floor and invest in pet rocks. No, honey, <laughs> that's not going to happen. I think we need to rethink this and reconsider this. That's the wise counsel she has to offer her, wife, her husband, right? That's the caveat. Here's the call, which we're going to get to. That's verse 7. The call is on the husbands as well and how husbands are called to live their lives before their wives. And we'll get to that. Now, why is submission necessary? Why should we even talk about it? Why do we have to have it? Good question. And to explain this part, I have that video. Now, full disclosure, I'm a guy, I'm an action movie fan. It's an action movie, okay? And the second thing is, I always learned to show a video in church. I just thought it would be fun. But it does make a point. And it comes from a movie, an older movie, Iron Man 2. First Iron Man hit a big in the box office, so they made two and three, and you know they'll just keep going. You know, Iron Man two. Iron Man is a guy named Tony Stark. He's this genius philanthropist billionaire who builds this metal suit that has amazing abilities. You can fly, you have weapons out in it, you can do all these incredible things, it's bulletproof. So he builds another suit, so he's got one, he builds this other suit that has even more weapons in it, it looks even more you know, powerful, and he has a buddy of his wearing, an Air Force Colonel by the name of Colonel Rhodes. Right? And they're buddies and they go off and they fight for good. Now in this scene, the two are about to partner up to fight an overwhelmingly superior force numerically. But they gotta figure out how they're gonna do it. And the question is, who's gonna be in charge? They can't figure it out. Go ahead and roll the video if you would. All right, you go up top, I'll draw them in. Well, don't stay down here, this is the worst place to be. Okay, You got a spot where you It's, it's the kill box, Tony, okay? This okay. is where you go to die. Stop it there. It was fun showing an Iron Man video, now, but you can see from it. All kidding aside, they're not husband and wife. But you can see the problem. If somebody doesn't have tie-breaking authority in decision-making process, you end up with that confusion. And what they ended up with is in what we called in the Marines the tactical low ground. Low ground is never where you want to be, because if the enemy owns the high ground above you and shooting down on you, and you have to attack up and get them, that's bad. You know. And because of the confusion, because nobody could decide who had tie-breaking authority, they end up in the low ground fighting a numerically superior force. Now it's Iron Man, they win, we know this. But you see my point, that's why you have it in a marriage, that's why it's essential in a marriage. You don't make decisions, you don't take action, you don't move forward. We're called to glorify God, to declare the praises of him coming out, of, uh, called us out of darkness and into his glorious light. How do we come up with a plan for that if nobody has tie-breaking authority? That's why it's necessary, and that's why it's there. Now, here's why it's so powerful. Take a look in your Bibles at the verses that talk about the nature of the woman who was giving that to her husband, particularly verses 1, 2, and 4. Verse 1, it says, listen, your conduct should be your witness. And it talks about a very difficult situation. If your husband is not obeying the word, if you're married to a man who is not living in the Word, if you're married to a man who's not a Christian. And in the church of this day, that was common because the church would come into an area, and frequently the first converts were women because they found that Christianity, far from being stifling and chaining, was the most liberating and pro woman theology they had ever seen or heard. And so the wives would be Christians and the husbands would be not. And they're saying, what do I do with this? Do I divorce this guy? I mean, you know, do I stay married? Do I, you know, how do I deal with this? And what he is saying is, the way you live out that image of God before your husband is what will make that so powerful. This isn't a question of, my wife's weak. She'll do anything. I'll tell her. It's like, my wife is strong and she's smart. She's smart and she's clever and she's hard-working, and she's saying, I'll go with what you want. That's different testimony entirely. You see it, in verse four, it says, she's a gentle and a quiet heart. Quiet because she's at peace before God. Gentleness, peace, that sounds like the fruit of the spirit. She's a woman who is living out the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I'll pause here, I don't care if you are a man or a woman, husband or a wife, how many of you have consciously lived that out well, even today? How many of us wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to live that out now. That's my intention when I walk out the door. Humbling and hard as submission is especially when you're smart, especially if you think you see more clearly than your husband does. It's very difficult, and we stumble, and we struggle, and it's like, God, why is this so hard? When she strives to acknowledge her husband and say, calling out those ways that he embodies and expresses the image of God as a man, The things he does to protect for his family, to work hard for his family, to provide for his family. And then says, I love you, honey, but I disagree. If she's constantly showing him those things in his face, which makes a man, frankly, want to be a better man even. And then she comes and says, honey, I don't think I can do this. I disagree with this. I I kind of feel strongly about this. He can't help but listen. Because this is a woman who's had my back, my shield mate, and is always in my corner you see it. Now, last thing I'll say here before we move on to men. Stand by, men. Your time's coming. Uh, um, there's this part here that says, it, it, the, the part here about don't let your identity be in your makeup. Let it be in your inner person, that, that, that person that is being transformed in the image of Christ. Here's what he's saying. He's not saying it's bad. But back in this time, in the Roman time, that, as Peter's doing, the hairstyles were opulent and they were ornate and women would spend an entire day getting one and spend extravagant amounts of money and they'd spend tons of money on gold jewelry and just drape themselves in it and go and look for the most expensive clothes and what he is saying is that's how they're identifying themselves they're walking out going this is me whereas a wife who's a woman of God is going this is me these things are nice, and yes, ladies, we as men appreciate them. All the grousing you hear in society size, we do. But it's not the way we're to identify ourselves. And honestly, women face the toughest time with that. The pressure from the world to live in a way that the world approves, which is, this sounds very familiar today, <laughs> you know. To conform to the beliefs of the world. Women, women in particular under a great deal of pressure to conform in appearance, in life choices, to conform to the world's standards of what a strong, independent woman is and not the words version. That's hard and that's why he says at the end of verse 6, who doesn't fear anything? Put another way, she is so secure in a relationship with Christ, she is so growing in that relationship that she doesn't fear man, she fears God. Different story. That's the spirit of the martyrs of the early church, and that's what he's talking about. Now, men, your time is here. Let me back up. I gotta tell you a story. I know I'm going a little long, but it's a powerful story. How does this work? A a woman who is with a guy who is not a Christian and how does that witness work? I'm gonna tell you a story. There was this guy. He was uh, an award-winning journalist and investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune and his wife, he and his wife were, he would say agnostic, he's really atheist, right? And they both were and their marriage was happy and then his wife started going to church and one day she came home to him. She says, honey, I got something I got to tell you. I was born again. I became a Christian. He got mad. He's like, Jiminy Christmas, I lost my wife. You used to be fun. Now you're not gonna be fun. I mean, you know, this is just gonna be horrible. And so what he did was he said, no, 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 this can't happen, I gotta fight back. And so what he did was he said, I'm an investigative reporter, I've got contacts, I've got skills, I know how to investigate this Jesus scam and I'm gonna show it for the fraud that it is to my wife. And so we went off and he started talking to all the leading experts here, talking about the existence of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, everything that happened. And you know what happened? He kept coming after her and being harsh and being rude, and she kept going back to him with gentleness and peace and going, I know you don't understand, but I am born again, and it is the only way. And through his investigation, he comes to find out this guy isn't fraud at all. He's real. Perhaps you've heard of him. His name's Lee Strobel, and the investigation to disprove Christ became a book called The Case for Christ, and he's now a pastor. That's the power of a godly woman in submission. That's a life eternally changed. That's a person who will be with God forever because of the witness of his wife. Now men, I got tell you something else. In the Marines, there are a lot of words we didn't wanna hear when you were in battle, okay? Cause they just meant bad things. One of them was the word incoming. Cause what it means is this. The enemy has fired artillery at you or mortars or they have attack helicopters and you see them on the horizon. Those things have Gatling guns that fire like 3,000 rounds a minute. And they got rockets and all kinds of stuff. Or else they've got fixed wing aircraft on station. And they're coming in with 500 pound bombs and other ordnance of destruction. So when you hear one of your guys say incoming, that's bad. You're in for a rough time. Men, incoming. Here's why. I want you to take a look at verse 7. Now, you see the way that it is written here in 1 Peter, and I have to tell you that you always struggle taking an ancient language and converting it into a contemporary one, especially when the grammatical rules are different. Here's the way that they've translated in the ESV. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. King James catches some more of the actual Greek words that were used, but still struggles to do that transformation. It sounds like this. Likewise, ye husbands, make a home together with your wives, as into a weaker vessel, according to knowledge, giving honor to the feminine. According to knowledge, giving honor to the feminine. Now, let's get weaker vessel aside. Everybody agrees they're talking about physical strength. On the norm, men tend to be stronger than women, and that's what that is about. But it's that other part, men, that I want to talk about. I'm going to talk about giving honor to the feminine. We're supposed to honor our wives because they're women. We are supposed to honor their femaleness. That is part of how they express and embody the image of God in a way we can never do, in a way we desperately need to look at and appreciate and cherish if we are to grow in our knowledge of God, to understand him, and to grow to be more like him. Women do it as only women can do it. Husbands, when's the last time you said I just, you just want to appreciate her for being a woman? Honor her femininity, her femaleness. Lift that up. When'd you do it? Here's the second thing, and here's the thing that starts to loop you in. According to knowledge in the King James, that word knowledge is important. What knowledge is he talking about? He's talking about two things. One is knowledge of your wife. Do you know what your wife needs? Do you know what she wants? Do you know what her strengths are? Do you know the areas of her life where she needs you in there to back her up? Do you know those things? And do you live your life with those things consciously in the forefront of your mind? if you're like me, the silence was deafening. Here's the other knowledge, and that is knowledge of how I am to live before God. Two passages come in mind. First is Mark 10 46, where it says that Christ came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you husbands are going to ask this Proverb 31 wife to submit to your authority, give you tie-breaking authority, are you living a life to serve her as opposed to be served? Are the first words out of your mouth, "No, I want?" Or is it, "What do you want?" You see, here's the second passage, and this is the one that does it, and that's going to be Ephesians 5:25, where it says, "Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church." What did Christ do for the church? Now, everybody looks at the cross and goes, well, look, he suffered and died. Yes, he did, and we're going to get there, but you've got to start earlier. Go to the birth, right? This is the all-powerful God who came as a powerless infant. This is the word that spoke everything into creation, came as a helpless baby who couldn't speak a word, couldn't communicate a single need. We've raised kids. We know how it goes. They can't tell you when they're, they just cry, right? You can't tell, do I need to change a diaper? Are they hungry? Are they sick? Are they tired? I don't know. I'm going to try them all. I'll figure it out, you know. But the God of the universe came that way for us. Husbands, would you give up all power to give your wife power? That's what Christ did for us. He lived the perfect life that we should live. He died the death that we should die because of the sin in us that prevents us from doing all of these things. And yes, he went through a horrible, excruciating suffering time. He suffered injustice at the hands of a kangaroo court. He bled. He died painfully and was buried. Men, would you do all that for your wives? Men who are dating, would you do that for the women you're dating? You see it. Now, we have women struggling with submission and to live that, that, that fruit of the spirit. We have men that are looking at, at, at Christ and going, I just can't do that. The sin in me causes me to stumble too much. It caused me to focus on myself too much. I can't do it. If the story stops here, we have a problem. We're left with two people who can't do this. But the story doesn't end here because Christ didn't come as an example. He came as a savior. You don't stop at the cross, you keep going. There's an old praise song from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord I lift your name on high. Because remember, just like we say with the Apostles' Creed on the third day, what happened? Rose again from the dead. Now as a Marine, I'm loving this because I just have a whole vision of Jesus rolling back the stone, coming out of the tomb, brushing off his sleeves and looking Satan in the eye and going, is that the best you got? That's all you've got? Death can't stop me. The grave can't hold me. What else you got, buddy? Bring it. There's nothing. Nothing can stop the power of the risen Lord. And when he looks at us, he gives us that resurrection power through the power of his Holy Spirit called the Spirit of Christ elsewhere. And that spirit dwells in his living temple that Peter is talking about, both us as his community and us as his individuals. And it transforms us into that royal priesthood if we will come to him. And get on her knees and say, This isn't happening without you. I can't be the wife I wanna be without you, Jesus. I can't be the husband I'm supposed to be without you, Jesus. I can't do it. But when you come to him, you find, as in verse seven, you're heirs of the same grace. God says, I will, Christ says, I will wash you clean of that sin. I will transform you. I will build you up. I will lift you up. I will help to fill you with the fruit of my spirit as you walk with me daily. And then wives can come to husbands and say, Look, honey, I didn't do that right. I'm sorry. Sh- I shouldn't have challenged you that way, and it was wrong. And husbands come to wives and say, You know, I am not making this easy on you because I am not living like Christ. I am not trying to serve you. I'm not trying to put you forward. I'm not seeing the glory of God's image in you and appreciating it for what it is and learning from it and drawing from it and becoming a stronger and a better man. And we come to the foot of the cross like that in confession and brokenness and repentance and suddenly you find yourself standing before the throne of grace together robed in righteousness and wearing a golden crown. How the heck did that happen? Resurrection power. The love of God who loved us so much he sent his only begotten son. That's how we live this. And that's how you glorify him to the world. Not through Christians are perfect, but here's what we do with our imperfections. Here's how we live that out. And that power is breathtaking. Close with some questions real quick. Husbands, are you loving your wife as Christ loves his church? On the days when you realize you're not, what are you doing about it? Are you going to her and confessing that and saying, I ask your forgiveness and I should have done this better and I want you to know this about you? How are you growing in Christ likeness? Single men, those of you who are considering marriage, are you living Christ like lives worthy of a Proverbs 31 wife, worthy of a woman of God who gives you this kind of biblical tie breaking authority? How are you growing in Christ likeness? Wives. Are you capable of submission in a biblical sense? If not, what are you fighting to do it? Are you strong enough to do it? As you read through Proverbs 31, is that you? When you realize on certain days that you haven't lived that well, what are you doing about it? Are you the woman of God who your husband can come to in order to confess how he is falling short of Christ of Christ's likeness and confess that with which he struggles. You shield mate. Your armor up. Men. It's your shield mate. Armor up too. And together we'll provide a witness to the world, unlike any other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. It's a lot there, but we start at the beginning and we come to the end, and we realize what a beautiful picture you've drawn. We pray that you will transform us through the power of your Holy Spirit to make us people that can live that out, husbands and wives that can live this out well, who can bring this to the world and show them something that they have never considered, a possibility they didn't know existed, and see a beauty that is all by your grace. Come Holy Spirit.